Christ, this works. California love. Welcome, everybody, to the RCR podcast. I am your host, Rylan By, joined here by uh, my favorite co-host in the world, Ryan Bauer. Say hi, Ryan. Hello, everybody. How's it going? And we are here with our producer, Carter, who's got the headphones on. He's waving as we speak. Today, we are going to be discussing the hottest takes in Park High. We've got all kinds of guests from teachers to softball players, and they're going to be telling us what their favorite hot take is. So, Bauer, without further ado, let's get right to it. All right. We are here with... Um, Rasmus. I'm the German exchange student. Um, I'm 17 years old and I'm a junior. Yes, very nice. Rasmus is here to tell us why he thinks American basketball is better than German basketball. So um, let's start off with, like, you here in America. You got, like, school basketball. Um, we don't got school sports like that in, in, like, Germany. We just got clubs, like, outside of the school. Got it. So, we yeah, we kind of do something similar with, like... With baseball and... And, like, what is it? Um, like, the, the leagues that you play in. Like, yeah. you can play club basketball, yeah, but there isn't any, like, school-based, like... The high school that you went to, you couldn't play basketball. Yeah, and in general, in like Germany and like the most parts of Europe, you can really play in a school sport. And I just like the like atmosphere of school sport way more. Yeah. Um, and then like I don't know, you can you can look up on on the internet like European gyms or like German gyms in in general. They're like nothing compared to like U.S. gyms. Like the the worst gym in in the U.S. is probably better than the best in Germany. Y are you mean? Do you mean like in quality or like in size? Quality, like not really size, but yeah, quality and like. Interesting. Yeah. Um. So then, like, what about like rules? Um. We kind of got the same rules. We in Germany we play with the. I I just um noticed that you in high school sports play with like thirty seconds shot clocks, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get twenty four seconds. It's just a small difference, but rules is not such a big thing it's more like the play style okay yeah so then maybe talk about that a little bit like is it more like isolation or no. is it more like set plays yeah more set plays more like um pass first and run plays and a lot of that stuff and i don't know it's just most of the coaches um especially like the like the average coaches not very good coaches they like they just want you to run plays um and even even you, you know the moment when like a player gets hot and, and like uh, hits everything. You're not allowed to play like an isolation uh, um, setting, or you're not allowed to um, e like when you got the mismatch. Yeah. You're not really allowed to like exploit that. Yeah. And, and use it. And so you're saying that? Do you think that American basketball is more like fun to watch? Um. Yeah. Um, definitely. I don't really like watching European basketball, like mm -hmm. EuroLeague or like German, German yeah. ball. Um, but as well to play, kind of. Yeah. Like, of course, because of like the, you got, yeah, you got a little bit bigger gyms and we don't got that much like of a crowd because we don't got school sports. Mm -hmm. That's not that fun. And just like I said, the gym quality is very bad. Yeah. So I got another question. Do, do, would you say since, uh, like we have better courts and whatnot. Yeah. Which which place would you say like takes basketball more seriously? Definitely, definitely the U.S. because um because you got it's it's like a national national sport over here and in Germany it's it's 
all about soccer. Yeah. We don't really got any other like we got those other sports, but it's not as as nearly as big as, mm-hmm. as soccer is. So that's why um, you don't really got the attention. We don't really got that much or uh, that many players over there, and that's why uh, the level of basketball isn't that high in Germany. Got it. Because like I guess you could argue that some of the best basketball players, like in the NBA, the American League. You know, Luka Doncic is Jokic. phenomenal. Jokic, like a lot of those guys yeah. are European. Giannis from Greek. Yeah. Greece so, well. um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you think that you know Europe can kind of like develop more technically refined players as like quality over quantity? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what I would say. And um, two points to that. Like, um, I think definitely that like European is getting stronger over the time, and we are way way stronger than um than we were a few years ago or like 10 or 20 years ago but um still um like what you see about those players if you if you watch luka if you watch um nikola jokic um they are very good like in reading the game and like understanding yes, the game exactly. very good at like reading plays and that's exactly what you learn in europe like um it's it's passing first and then scoring and yeah that's why you learn so so many so many things when you're from from Europe, I guess. Yeah, yeah, because, like, one thing that, like, I had noticed less more with uh, Giannis, but definitely with uh, Jokic and uh, uh, Luka Doncic is their ability to pass, especially Jokic, like, being a big man and being able to pass. So, like, like you were saying, like, more running those set plays, it's definitely, like, you can tell that that's something that's important because their ability to pass the ball along with score, I think, is uh, super impressive, and it's not really something that you always see with, you know, players here. Like, I'm a big Celtics fan. Jason Tatum is not a phenomenal passer. He's a great scorer, but, you know, yeah, that definitely. part of his game is not as refined as some of those EuroLeague players. So it is, it's an interesting, like, like difference in, in how players play. Yeah, I mean, like, um, it's, like, one of my, one of my kind of idols. He's, like, two or three years o- older than me. He, he plays in the same club as me, um, and he always told me, like, if you watch the NBA, you you just see like the best players in the world playing yes. a, like a pickup game, just Absolutely. like one on ones most of the time. Yeah. Um. And then because many people always say when they talk about uh, LeBron, for example, that he got a like very high game IQ and can read the game so well because he played since like twenty years in the league. Yeah. That's why he got such a good like knowledge and basketball IQ in general. And I think the other guys who are like close to him are like guys like Luca, who is like. I don't know in his early twenties, and that's why he he didn't have to like take such a long time for that because it, over there in Europe you just learn such things. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, and I don't think a lot of people like realize that when you like see people like coming from Europe and like um, you know just like like interacting and like seeing talking to people like a lot the the one thing that they don't really talk about is like is like passing, and that's kind of obviously a game, you know, part of the game that is, like, lost, but I think that that is um, a really great point. Any closing statements for us, Rasmus? Not really. Um, when I came here, I really enjoyed, like, this other atmosphere about the basketball um, and that it's such big over here. So that's something, one of the reasons why I wanted to come over here. Oh, so well, awesome. Okay, our next guests, plural, are uh, Kaylee Roberts and Ava Malone. Say hi, guys. And they are here to explain to me, because I might not understand, 
why softball fences should be consistent all the way around the field. Well, for MHSA, you can have a range that can be from 285 feet to 335 feet, from three foot tall fences to 10 foot tall fences. So some fields we play on are 285 or three foot tall fences and others are 335 or 10 foot fences and it's the inconsistency. Okay. Is our, what is our field? Do you know what the range is? I know they're is? three foot fences. Okay. Um, um, I couldn't tell you how. It looks okay. like 280 range. Well, 280 is under the range. Oh, so <laughs> <not quite laughs> I actually can't quite be that. I don't, I think Julie it said it's right around 300. Okay. It's right in the middle. So I guess my question is, is is it really that different playing on it? Or is it really just have to do with like when you're hitting, like on our home field, you might hit a home run, but I don't know what Lockwood looks like, but maybe you won't hit a home run at Lockwood. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of like the point? Like you want it to be consistent. So everything that you are hitting is kind of like the same. Well, center field's the same size no matter what. Yep. But then the outfield, 50 feet. Okay, feet that's a good point. 50 feet different. So yeah, so like hitting the ball in the gap at home is a lot different than hitting the ball in the gap somewhere else because it might roll all the way. It, if you hit it in the right center in a, a, a long yeah. fence, you could run. get a triple. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like and then at home, you could get double, maybe yeah. a triple. Like in Lockwood, if it doesn't hit one to the left center, usually that's like yeah. a double. Like a double, maybe. If I got from first to home. Yeah. Just on, and you shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a lot like different. On the fields at State and Hamilton, they were a lot bigger mm -hmm. too, so it was. I think those were maxed. And yeah, also, like, Ava, I know you're a pitcher. That's another thing. It's like at home when you're pitching, even if they hit in the gap, there's a chance that that's, all, that's only a single. Mm -hmm. Well, geez, like you said, in Hamilton, they hit in the gap. That's a triple, and you're already in the hole, you know. With, mm -hmm. you it know, already goes up. Yeah, it was whatever's going on, like, you already have you have a girl on third, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that's just it's, – it's a different dynamic. But in a way, like in the MLB, they have completely different – you know, ranges and like even like elevation, like in Denver, it's you got obviously the, you got the pesky corner in yeah, Boston. Exactly. So it's like there's a lot of different like things. And like in a way it's like like for like like the charm, you know, baseball is right. you know, everything being different. But I think it's a lot different when it's like high school sports when like everybody's learning and it's kinda it's a little less serious and competitive. But mm -hmm. um yeah. Do you guys have any closing statements? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay. I was just gonna add on that like as a hitter, it's fresh. No, it's not frustrating really. But like in Manhattan, I hit three balls that hit the top of the fence, which they have a ten foot fence, and I don't know yeah. the range. I'm not a range. Kaylee's like the mathematical <laughs> softball. I just pitch the ball yeah. and hit the ball. Yeah. I don't really care about the Make like dimensions. Yeah. But like at home, all three of those balls would have been gone yeah. by a mile. Yeah. And exactly. like in Ma in Manhattan, they hit and went back in, and I was so like, you're just kidding them yeah. double exactly. when it could have been yeah. a home oh, run. Yeah, mm -hmm. So that is that's a good point. Uh, well, thank you guys very much, and we are going to move to our next guest. We are here with uh, social studies teacher, Mr. Bidal. Would you like to say hi to everybody listening, Mr. Bell? Hi. It's um, wonderful to be here with this great group of people in, the, in this room. I'm very glad to hear that. I'm actually going to let Ryan take the lead on this one because he is a passionate Packers fan, and we know that you are here to talk about how the Jets will be a uh, playoff team. So you take it, you take it, Bauer. So in the past with Aaron Rodgers, whenever he doesn't have the offensive coordinator that he knows or play caller, he is terrible. He, like last year, when they were playing, 
he was all over the place. He was trying to force it to where people weren't there and everything. So what's your stance on that? Because he likes to force the ball a lot if he doesn't have confidence. Well, my stance is that the Jets have an outstanding coaching staff and that they get the best out of all the players' individual abilities. And so I know that Aaron Rodgers um, is kind of a legend. You know, he is um, closing in, what, on age 40 um, as, a, as a quarterback in the NFL. But I think he sees this as his, like, last chance for NFL glory. And so I think he is going to um, get in line with what the Jets are um, trying to accomplish, and that is to make the playoffs in a potential Super Bowl run. And I think he is going to just get in line and be a, a great leader for um, the New York Jets. With Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, how long do you think your Super Bowl window is? Because he doesn't have five, ten years like people like Joe Burrow and them have. He has like probably two to three good years left, and then he's going to go off the deep end. How long do you think your Super Bowl window is going to be? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I do agree. I think there are three probably good years with Aaron Rodgers. And so I'm kind of just looking at, you know, the present. I'm not really looking into the future. So I'm thinking playoffs this year and potential Super Bowl um, in um, the year after that. One side note is that um, Broncos had that had Nathaniel Hackett as their head coach, and they fired him. Mm-hmm. I'm almost certain that the Jets hired they did. Hackett as their offensive, offensive coordinator, coordinator, who was Aaron Rodgers' favorite. So your point about him not being but, in a... But also Hackett wasn't calling plays in yes, either place. So it was before. But still, like the scheme and that, um, you know, was something that he might be familiar with, although Hackett was a disaster at head coach, so you could argue that maybe that's not the greatest thing. But, Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. In fact, um, Rodgers' connection with Hackett, I think that's part of Rodgers um, going to the New York Jets is that connection. And then the Jets have also picked up um, some some of um, players that Aaron Rodgers has good connections with as well from past playing experience. And I think that's just going to add to this um, playoff team, the New York Jets. Let's look at their schedule now. and yeah, We're going to go, go through and do a little like win-loss, win-loss yeah. type thing and kind of give your opinion on what you think each week will look like. So, opener in Buffalo, Monday Night Football on 9-11. Actually, that game should be in New York, I believe, on 9-11. Oh, Monday Buffalo, Night Buffalo Football. at, yeah. Buffalo at um, yeah, and so that's going to be a great first game for the New York Jets. Um, I think um, they're going to have a, have a nice victory. It should be a pretty close game, being that Buffalo is a very, um, very talented football team. 1-0. I feel like this one can go either way because the Jets last year, whenever they played the Bills, their defense was so stout it stopped Josh Allen. But also their offense couldn't get anything going against the Bills. It was a field goal game. It was like 9-6 to six or something like that. And see, that's, I think, the big difference in this year's New York Jets is I'd be the first to say Zach Wilson was a terrible quarterback. Um, and so their defense, I thought, was outstanding, but they couldn't get anything going offensively. And now we have that piece in the quarterback position that I think is going to – he's going to make everything um, just hum a little bit better there on offense for the New York Jets. I feel like not Buffalo game. It could go either way. It could go either as a win or a loss. Would you agree with that? No, they're going to win it. <laughs> okay. Versus Dallas. Yeah, week two. Week in two. In Dallas. In Dallas. Jerry, Jerry Land. 
Yeah. In fact, I usually go to a Jets game every year. That was kind of on the radar. I'm not sure. Um, there's probably a different game I'm going to be and I'm going to end up going to. But um, yeah, Dallas is a, a good football team. It's going to be a, a great challenge for the New York Jets. But they will um, win that one as well, and then they'll be two and zero. I also probably see them winning this one. The Dallas defense is atrocious. I but agree. Their offense is one of the elites. I think it'll be kind of a high score. Either it'll be a high scoring game or it'll be kind of kind of a toilet bowl. I think that there's. Yeah, Dallas might not be able to score at all because I know that Jets defense is pretty solid, but the Cowboys defense is not good at all. So we'll have to see how that goes. Week three, I also probably see you guys winning uh, New England in uh, MetLife Stadium versus New England. Yeah, here's the issue is that I see them being a better team than New England, but they have not beat New England, and I don't have my dad in front of me. It's been years and years since they've actually beat New England. So, actually, that one scares me more than the first two for some um, strange reason um, on the schedule. I do think they'll win, even though it's been years. That'll make them 3-0. Okay. This is realistically where I see your first loss. I agree. Week four, Kansas City. At home, though. At home. Defending Super Bowl champs. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be um, that's gonna be a very very um, challenging game. Um, I see a game going to overtime, and I see Sauce Gardner getting a pick six to win the game for the New York Jets, making them four zero. <laughs> All right, okay, now a steamroll. This is a passionate one for me here. Yeah, week five in Denver. You know, I probably have seen the Jets play in Denver five times, maybe six times. Um, I didn't go last year, and they were in Denver last year. That is on my um, my radar to go see that game down in Denver. But I think I agree with you. I just don't see the I don't see the Broncos um, um, putting up much of a fight against the Jets. I, I just see um, kind of domination. I see a Jets like thirty five to three victory. Yeah, I can see that happening I, too. I I hate that I have to agree, but I I don't. Broncos aren't going to be great, so we can just move over that. I realistically see your second or third loss here, week six, uh, versus Philadelphia. Again at home. At home. Ooh, yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Those Eagles, just they seem like they're they're clicking on all cylinders with their, their football team. That's a, yeah, it's, it's in New York, but the um, Philadelphia is not too far down the road. It should be an interesting game as far as the makeup of the stadium goes. Um you know, the Jets, I can't see them going, um, you know, 17-0. Um, and 0. So, tell you what, if there's one on the schedule, that might be the one that the Jets lose. I will um, I'll concede and say that the Jets, after a big victory in Denver, have a close loss at home to Philadelphia. So, we don't have an enormous amount of time. So, let's go through here and just pick, pick games, pick another good, like, two or three, uh, maybe, like, toss-ups and see what your opinion on. Um, on it is uh, week 12 uh, at home versus Miami. Yeah, Miami's a good football team. That's one thing about the AFC East. It's a challenging conference with Buffalo, Miami, New England, and now the Jets. So it's going to be a it's going to be a challenging conference. I think, you know, it comes down to Miami and um, who's going to be at quarterback for Miami? It seems like they've suffered, yeah, they've suffered through a lot of injuries and Tua's been out quite a bit. You know, if Tua's playing... Um, you know, it's going to be a 
probably be a good football game both times that the Jets play the, the Dolphins, but that one will be a Jets victory. Okay, and then we got... Hmm. I wish we had red in here, but week 17 in Cleveland against the Browns on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, week 17 is also an interesting week, you know, for a football game. What do we got, 18 weeks in the yep. season? And so they have seven, that's week before the last week there. Um yeah, Cleveland's good, but they're not on the Jets level, so that's a Jets victory. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Mr. Bow, do you have any closing statements for us here? Um, no. Um, well, okay, one, one quick statement. You know, I've been a lifelong Jets fan. Um, have seen, um, you know, multiple games over the years. Been to multiple playoff games, but those playoff games are like 10 years ago or more. Um, so I guess I'm as excited as, um, you know, most Jets fans with the – idea that we have a team that's going to maybe make the playoffs compete um, going into the season. You know, they had a good defense all along. It just said, you know, they needed that piece, I think, at quarterback, and they surrounded him with some wide receivers that um, Rodgers is comfortable with. They're a little weak on the offensive line, but hopefully with some good coaching, um, they'll solid up that area. And, um, yeah, I'm excited going into this year. Can't wait. The one game that is right now, I think, on my hit list as far as um, seeing is down in Vegas, by the way. Um, so I have some buddies, and we may meet in Vegas for that game there on November 12th. Um, you know, at that point, the Jets would be somewhere in the range of, you know, like maybe 12-1. and one. So, um, all right. Um, no, actually, that's week 10, so it would be mathematically impossible to be 12-1, <laughs> and one, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so. um, well, no, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yep, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, let's move on to our next guest. All right, so we are here with math teacher, Mr. Fuller. Say hi. How are we doing, everybody? So we are here to talk about how the pitch clock was uh, was brought into the MLB this year and the uh, reactions from normal fans like us think about it. So what I think about the pitch clock Something needed to be changed to get it going faster, but it's almost feels kind of robotic to me mm -hmm. whenever it's only 15 seconds in between and you're not allowed to do more than two pickoffs per bat at that. Because if you do, if you like, you waste them on the first and second pitch and you have a fast runner on, you can't keep it, he could just weed off like halfway and then automatically steal basically. Yeah, yeah, I kind of had the same idea. Um, so I guess for, for those of you who don't understand what a pitch clock is, a pitch clock was designed to um, help increase the speed of the baseball game. Um, most baseball games tended to really uh, run about three, three hours on average. Um, and there is numbers uh, out there that state that it has cut down the time by 30 minutes um, with implementing this pitch clock. But I guess my biggest thing along this is that like uh, we are moving further and further away from the human factor with a pitch clock. Um, umpires are busy enough as it is. Why are we putting more information onto them? Um, as someone who played baseball growing up, uh, sometimes 15 seconds isn't enough time for you to get settled as a pitcher. Um, sometimes you need a few more seconds. Um, as you stated, Bauer, that the idea of only two disengagements, being able to pick off only twice, allows a runner a large lead after that. Um, 
so so there are definitely some negative effects to this. Um, but as, as a lot of fans have stated, I mean, it's a long season. There's 140 games. Um, and if we're doing three hours a game, that's, that's a lot of time. Um, so on the flip side, the pitch clock has cut down that amount of time, which is kind of a nice thing. Getting, like, more with the uh, away from the human factor, I got another question. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the uh, – I forgot what they're called, but the um, – like the catcher and the pitcher, they have that uh, – uh, the sign in the sign radio thing where mm -hmm. it's in an earpiece. What do you think about that? Um, well, I think that that came about after the, after uh, the whole debacle with the Astros and the championship um, with the uh, World Series going on. Uh, I, I think it's actually a pretty cool feature. Um, I know when I was playing, there was no idea of technology whatsoever allowed on the field. Um, so implementing this idea of technology so that players cannot steal signs, um, that's part of the game. But I think all in all, it's not anything that's a super negative effect. Um, it just makes it uh, more focused on reading a pitch as it comes in and versus having any insight beforehand. I think it also helps as well since uh, baseball is very uh, diverse. Since there's a lot of like Cuban, Dominican Republic players, not all of them speak English, even from like Japan and whatnot. And if you have like the best catcher in the league, JT Real Muto, like he only speaks English. Then you have Shohei Otani, for example. Yeah. He doesn't speak English at all. He has a translator in the dugout with him. I think it helps like teams in general because you don't have to specifically put in like a Chinese speaking catcher. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And and in that case, I don't know if the um the transmitter between the catcher and the pitcher is is really helping in gap that um. the word uh that language barrier um that's going to happen more with those mound visits by coaches or mound visits by the catcher uh so you're still going to have that issue but um it is really nice that you're not having to worry about giving five signs to call for one pitch you can just immediately receive the the pitch that you're expected to throw and then so i feel as though for the pitch clock i feel like it should be an unlimited amount of disengagements or at least bumped up to like five or something like that. Yeah. But for a time, like bump it up. A little, but I I feel like it should stay like a little like but bump up the time. Okay. Like so the thirty seconds in between batter, I feel like is good. But in between pitches, I'd say bump it up. Okay. To like twenty twenty five thirty. Yeah, and I guess like my that. big question um, is. Uh, once again, this idea of why do we need two different times uh, with a person on base versus person not on yeah. base? Why not just maintain it as a single, mm -hmm. um, single amount? Um, and you're a, you're of a younger generation than I, so a pitch clock maybe not a bad idea. Um, but I kind of go back to the idea that you know we're dehumanizing baseball. Um, there's that too. idea of uh, the robotic umpires is also something that has been talked about a lot. And at that point in time, what's what's the point? Where's the human factor? Um, umpires are people, too. They're going to make mistakes. We get that. Um, but we're not trying to make baseball perfect. We're trying to maintain a game's integrity. And I think we're moving further and further away from that when we implement this idea of a pitch timer or, in the future, the idea of a, a robotic umpire. Well, and with that, that's the conclusion to the RCR podcast. Uh, special thank you to Mr. Lindy for letting us use all this special equipment.
along with Carter Fredrickson for being the best producer yes, that sir. we could find right. for our pay grade. Yes. <laughs> along with our guests for having some really bad uh, takes. Looking at you, Stacy. Yep, terrible ideas, but you know we appreciate you guys coming on, and uh, thank you so much for listening. And with that, we'll see you later. Adam, hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me, I love it. Look in intuition, play the cards with space to start. And after he's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on his heart.